0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. As We departed last Sunday... An interrogation of Jesus erupted in the midst of the night. Still, according to established legal ethics in Israel, it is or was unlawful for criminals to be tried under the cloak of darkness. Uh, Those established ethics, however, they did not prevent a mock tribunal from occurring in the middle of darkness. This preceded Jesus' actual trial and we turn to Luke chapter 22 verse 66 Uh, we observe after daybreak now the council of the elders that is the same as the Sanhedrin the supreme court in Israel they ask Jesus questions that the other gospels portray as occurring earlier that night previously at night that that is not a contradiction but rather reveals their coordinated effort to get Jesus to confess before his actual trial had begun. And through a repeated process of interrogation, shining the hot lamp on him, uh, the chief priests and the elders built their prosecution at night. In Matthew 26, verse 63, we see the high priest provoking Jesus saying, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Sound like Daniel? And in Mark 14, verse 61, Jesus is asked a second time, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. In each of these instances, Jesus responds with details that are prophesied about him by the prophet Daniel in chapter 7. Jesus also invokes Psalm 110, wherein King David describes the Messiah as occupying a position of great authority at God's right hand. That is the passage where David famously declared, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. So as Jesus responds with Scripture, He uh, he presents Himself as a king with an eternal dominion. Sitting on the Davidic throne, wielding divine authority, He also gives uh, a promise of a future return, in the clouds that's an obvious fulfillment of daniel he also in the same breath places the sanhedrin positions the supreme court of israel he places them as enemies to god they they know exactly what he is saying they they know scripture well enough to understand exactly what jesus is saying. Jesus' defense is speaking forth God's word. That that is known as prophesying. We studied this last Wednesday evening. Uh, Speaking forth God's word is prophesying. To prophesy does not mean to predict the future, though there were some prophecies that contained a future element in them. Uh, The proper definition of prophesy means to speak for God or, or to speak God's word. That that was the function of a prophet, to prophesy, to speak God's word. Whenever Jesus was confronted by God's enemies, that would include when he was tempted by Satan uh, in the wilderness or by the Pharisees, uh, he almost universally responded with what God's prophets had already said about him. Always speaking forth. God's Word. In doing so, Jesus claimed to be speaking for God. Prophesying to speak for God. And the religious leaders, as I said, they were proficient enough with Scripture. They they had known enough Scripture to recognize exactly what Jesus was saying. And, of course, they were were gravely insulted. Gravely insulted by Jesus. In His defense, Jesus prophesied. Prophesied. You know, his earthly ministry was rich with uh, quotations from the Old Testament, often preempted by a phrase, It is written, right? It is written. Everybody recognized this about Jesus. It was his way of teaching. And, and it was one of the reasons that when Jesus was blindfolded and when he was beaten, uh, we, we read that verse last week, verse 64. It's the reason that those interrogating him said, Prophesy now. Who is the one who hit you? You In other words, speak for God now. Who is the one who struck you? And notice, even in that situation, they weren't asking him to predict the future, actually to reveal the past, technically. Um, But having him blindfolded, they were confident that only God could tell Jesus who it was that struck him. Uh, So in a nutshell, they're saying, prophesy now. They're saying, we don't believe you speak for God. We do not believe you when you claim to speak for God. Um, They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe that he has, as as the prophet Daniel had declared, an eternal dominion. Uh, They don't believe Jesus is worthy of a seat of great honor at the Father's right hand, they don't accept He will come again, coming in the clouds, they don't accept He will return, and uh, those examining His claims will not acknowledge that they are actually God's enemies. They, they will not acknowledge that. They see themselves as very religious. And in summary, they are like many, they are like many who, who fill church pews today but don't really believe anything that Jesus taught. They're like many today. Consider that as I read from Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 66. It's been a long night of interrogation. It is now complete. Uh, they've already rejected all of Jesus' claims. This trial held after, after daybreak, th- this now is only a legal formality for them. It had to be done. When it was day. The council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led Jesus away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they probably... Pharisees probably look at one another and, and high-five. There he is. He said it again. We've got him. And, and they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And Jesus said to them, Yes, I am. One translation says, It is as you say. You've said it yourself. And then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from His very own mouth. They had already heard it from Jesus again and again. Earlier on that night, they heard it. They had heard it throughout His three-year ministry in many, many different portions and in many different ways. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, when they came searching for Him, He replied, I am three different times. I am using the name of God. Uh, The court was not following a process of inquiry on this morning. They already had all the evidence that they needed. Uh, They merely wanted Jesus to confess one more time for the court stenographer. Let's get this official. Nothing he could say would satisfy those who reject his authority. They had already made up their minds long ago. Before walking into church that morning, I mean court, and listening to repeated claims of Jesus for them. Oh, it's just another formality. Just another formality. I I imagine there were big eye rolls. Big eye rolls towards Jesus. In verse 67, he assures, if I tell you, you will not believe. Are you surprised Jesus just didn't tee up the gospel one more time? Maybe just one more time. One, One more soft appeal yeah, I'm not I'm not we read in the sermon on the mount Jesus says do not cast your pearls before the swine you know, that, that is instruction on how uh, to not um, it, it governs how we handle the gospel in the face of host, hostility in the face of hostile opposition to the gospel the apostle John wrote there is a sin leading to death There is, there is. And for he or she who repeatedly denies the gospel, over and over again, you will eventually cross a threshold where God will not reach anymore. It's enough. We've got to be really careful about reaching or breaching that threshold. The Pharisees have done it. The Sanhedrin had done it. Folks, this is not a New Testament dispensation. This isn't something that we just see here. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 7, we observe God instructing the prophet Jeremiah concerning Israel who had lived in defiance of God for a long time now. And he says, as for you, God speaking to Jeremiah, as for you, do not pray for this people, and do not lift up cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I do not hear you. Jeremiah 14.11 So the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. When they fast, I'm not going to listen to their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I'm not going to accept them. Rather, I'm going to make an end to them. Talk about a final judgment. Don't even cry out for them anymore. Jeremiah then sort of laments in dissent against Yahweh, saying this, But, Ah, Lord God, I said, Look, the prophets are telling them, You will not see sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place, the prophets were saying. But then the Lord said to Jeremiah, The prophets are prophesying falsely, In my name, I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their minds. That is when they said, there won't be sword, there won't be famine. The prophets had said, we're going to give you lasting peace in this place. Folks, Jeremiah had his own struggle with the prosperity gospel going around. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to be wealthy and wise and live long in this place. That lie has been going along around long enough. Israel, they had rejected God as their shepherd back in the day of Jeremiah. They, they were brutally carried off in slavery to, to, to Babylon. Now after three years of God's revelation and grace through Jesus Christ... They've rejected the Son of Man. Now, this, this will be the last time, the last time they reject Him. They, they are going to nail Him to a cross in a few hours. They're going to nail Him to a cross. Uh, and, and that, that door uh, to the ark that God had provided for salvation, that, that's closed. There's going to be a flood of judgment that comes upon Israel. The land is going to soon vomit them out once again. Judgment is coming. You know, folks, God God never becomes a debtor to anyone. All right? God is not a debtor. Jesus here owes nobody anything. God does not owe. Uh, Jesus doesn't need to give another explanation. I I, I find, I believe there is great comfort. Great comfort in the sovereign grace and, and, and election of God. There's great comfort in that. For for the persons I know who repeatedly reject the invitation, the call to believe on Christ, uh, the call to believe Christ's claims, I don't lie awake every night. I don't. At funerals of loved ones who throughout their lives repeatedly refused God's offer of forgiveness, uh, although their destiny in hell, it, it grieves me. That grieves me. I don't bear their fate on my shoulders. That wasn't up to me. I don't cry for days wondering how maybe if I just shared one more time, or maybe if I just teed it up once more, if I'd made that last minute night phone call, maybe then they might have believed. Maybe just one more verse of just as I am, you know. Let's tee it up one more time. Uh, could we have bridged the, the difference? No, not according to Jesus. Not according to Jesus. To his enemies he said, If I tell you, you will not believe. You will not believe. There's none who seeks for God. There's not even one. All are dead in their trespasses and sins. I do not possess the authority or the power to, to make people alive to God. I can't do that. The only thing that I can do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share it, uh, share it with all in anticipation that the Holy Spirit is going to save some. It's going to regenerate some for the glory of God's Son. That is what our responsibility uh, is. Salvifically, in a salvific sense, that, that is all I can do until the Son comes. Declare the gospel. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He warned warned the neighbors around. He he warned his friends that the judgment of God was coming. God God had even supplied an ark. right? The, The door to that ark remained open for a season. But Noah could not make the people enter. And for those who reject God's single provision of salvation, there's only one, as these religious leaders in Israel have done, there's nothing more that can be said. There's nothing more that you can say to them. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Is that a brutal verse? Or what? You know, when it comes to uh, parallel verses. You know, on Sunday, and and, and verses pop into your head, uh, and, and providing a presenting a message and preparing uh, parallel resources that popped in my head. And uh, sometimes you get them from cross references and study Bibles from resources, and, and you get these verses that pour in when, when, you're, when you're considering a passage like this. And uh, I always go back, every time I come across one, and this one in particular, and I, uh, I read the context of the verse. I, I want to make sure, is this verse talking about what I think it's talking about? You know what I mean? Is this actually discussing What I'm talking about. And this one came into my head a couple days ago. If we go on sinning willfully, thinking of those who are rejecting Christ's claims, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's Hebrews ten twenty six. And I go, you know what, I gotta go wait a second. I know that context. Is this a serious verse or what? uh, Can we all agree on that? That this is a very serious verse? What then is Hebrews 10.25 commanding? Well, verse 23 begins this way. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds... And here's verse 45, uh, 25. It begins with a causal conjunction. all right? Causal conjunction. That means it's provided as an explanation for the previous verse. That's what verse 26 is. Here is the cause. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Then it's verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that's the causal conjunction for, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And this, this is what I wanted to cover. I knew at some point we're going to have to discuss this. Now is as good as any. Um, folks, during the political upheaval that we're experiencing, there there has been a lot of misinformation spread around, especially on the internet. A lot of misinformation is being circulated that denigrates the preeminence, the, the, the prominence of Christ's church. The church that Satan wants to destroy. And his craft and power are great, armed with cruel hate. Satan hates the church. He wants to destroy the church. And I saw more of this this past week. So I anticipate you're seeing it as well. I just have to imagine if you guys have a phone or if you're on the internet, you're seeing it as well. So so it must be addressed. John MacArthur, an imperfect man. I don't agree with him all the time, but he's... He's a man who's been used by God for mighty things. John MacArthur is standing for Christian worship. While there are false teachers who are working to disband and dismantle it. All right? Let me share just a few things that are concerns of pastors in general about the preeminence of worship and Christ's church coming together and not forsaking the assembly together. We know Christians are not under the law. We, we, uh, Sunday is not established in Scripture as a new Sabbath day. We realize that. Our Sabbath rest is in Christ alone. But it isn't understood that this body assembles on Sunday. are teaching and worship on the Lord's day. Uh, Sunday school is for all ages. It's a component of our fellowship and an assembly. Wednesday night is admittedly not the Lord's day, but Wednesday evening it is long established as a uh, important family night offering special emphasis to prayer, youth group, choir, other things. Uh, here's a caution I want to give again again, I said it once a few weeks ago, not too forcibly, but there are. There are supplemental ministries. There are supplemental things that, if we get involved too much, they can starve out the assembly on Sunday and Wednesday. Um, I'm not sure this would ever happen here. But there are things competing for the church. There are things that are striving to overtake the church in our society. You know, if there ever arises a competition, or any sort of uh, alternative church, any other sort of alternative uh, assembly, if it's got to be one or the other, folks, it's got to be the Lord's Day. Number one is the Lord's Day. Nothing can take it away. I don't see anything currently problematic here um, There is a struggle, though, to maintain the Lord's Day as a day of worship in our culture. Um, the competing for time and energy and passion—they're uh, eating at Christ Church. They're eating at Christ Church. It's—it's—it's it, it's, it's the work. It's the wiles of Satan. There are a lot of events that have the potential to compete for focus with the church. Scripture reserves an emphasis for corporate worship and prayer. And and balancing this tension that has always gone on is something that pastors are not unfamiliar with. I, I think we would all agree Uh, that any behavior, any activity that consistently interferes with the vitality of the Lord's day is sin. But now there are voices who claim the corporate assembly to worship is optional. The Lord never commanded us to assemble, it has been said. Uh, Again, denigrating and devaluing what God elevates as holy, the corporate assembly gathering, saw some of this talk this past week on the internet. You know, someone who says that does, does not recognize all Scripture is God-breathed and, and equally inspired. The, the assertion is, well, well, Jesus never said it. It's not in the red letters. Jesus never commanded us. We had to assemble for worship. And that is a false teacher who says anything like that. They don't recognize that all scripture is God breathed. That type of, and I'm putting on quotes, that type of pastor on the internet spreading that garbage along with the state of California and and other states and along with Satan. They want churches disbanded. So people can sit at home and become influenced by TV church. TV church. In fact, many churches are now, by default, TV church. It's being declared the Lord never commanded us to assemble. You know, you know though a, though a local church might extend some discretion during the pandemic with COVID and other things, for people with comorbidities and other things that make them especially vulnerable, uh, though that may occur at each local church as as... They find appropriate. The state does not regulate how or when the church assembles to worship. The state does not determine the size or the number or the assembly that God himself has allotted to each. Uh, the state does not disband churches it doesn't decide, well, you know, just kind of divide up and, and hide in your basements in smaller groups and we'll leave you alone. Just an example of MacArthur's church there, a very large church. to say, well, just divide up into smaller churches, the state says. Get "In getting smaller groups. Folks, the church does not decide. Uh, excuse me, the, the state does not decide on that. We do not hide the light of the gospel under a bushel. When the apostles were commanded by this same sanhedrin that is trying Jesus right now, uh, when they're commanded not to pe- preach publicly, the, the apostles did not reply, you know, "Well, uh, okay, is it all right if we just kind of huddle then over here in a dark corner? If we kind of go away, will you let us then share some of the scriptures with one another? No. The church isn't going away. We aren't going to hide the gospel. They said we must obey God rather than men, And the apostles accepted arrest and even death for the gospel. You know, it was that kind of testimony, accepting that kind of death and seizure of property and other things, that lit the flame of the gospel that burns to this day. That's the testimony that the early church had. and I just want to, though this is a diversion a bit here, I just want to say, it's time to toughen up, folks. They're coming. They're coming. The Hebrews, they were tempted to skip church, skip the assembly, because it was resulting in physical persecution. It was hazardous to their health. But the writer says, well, it hadn't resulted yet in the shedding of blood. Right? (laughs) And and, and only a few, it says in chapter 10, verse 34, only some had their possessions seized. And some decided to forsake the assembly and return to Judaism because it it didn't cause such hardships for them. That's what the writer of Hebrews is correcting. He says, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. Physical persecution and seizure of property is not a reason to forsake the assembly of God's people together. There there are not other options. You can't do church alone. I've said many times over over the seasons, uh, you don't have church in your recliner petting your dog. The church is the assembly of God's people. There are not alternative churches. Video church is not acceptable long-term. Um, we'll continue to do it for a little while. to Have grace on those who are older and have comorbidities that expose them to, to an extraordinary amount of risk, especially with age. But this is getting out of control. It's getting out of control. Just imagine, those little churches that are struggling to hang on in these locations. Maybe they have 30 or 50 or 70 people that are ministering to one another. That's all they have, and now the state's saying, no, you can't, you can't do that. It's tragic. It is an attack by Satan that churches must disband. I'm sorry, but it is time to get serious about church. Um, Therefore, I'm merely repeating what Scripture says to us all today. All right, It is written, Do not forsake your assembling together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord's return, drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We can't abandon Christ's church. You can't apostate from it. Oh, that's enough on that. Where were we? Anybody remember? <laughs> oh yeah. The Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. They had the final say for Israel. Uh, theirs was the formal reply of the nation for the people, Uh, they, they did not accept Jesus Christ as Messiah. They rejected Him. They did not believe Jesus would die for sins and rise again. They don't think He's seated at God's right hand right now. They do not believe He's coming again. They refuse to worship Christ as God's Son. Scripture says, "...who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ?" This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Folks, entrance into the kingdom of God, for for you and for me, hinges on accepting this testimony of Christ. There are folks of all ages here. There are some of us who've come from good Christian homes. There are some who, whose parents never once uh, spoke to them about Christ. But everyone stands before God on equal footing and shaky footing. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same destitute condition coming before God. The question is, I want to know today, what are you going to do with the claims of That Christ has made. Will you believe he is the Christ? Is he God's very own son? Will he come again as he has promised? And is he now seated at the right hand of God? Does Jesus rule in everlasting dominion as king? Because you either accept these claims that Jesus made. Or you remain God's enemy until the son comes those are the only two options accept him as savior or remain his enemy until he comes at that time god is going to make every single enemy a foot footstool for his feet final point what is jesus doing right now what is he doing in verse 69 it says, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So what is Jesus doing until the Son comes? Interceding. It's the first one we'll go to. People, some people wonder about that. Um, some, some might think he's kind of sitting around, you know, he's seated at the right hand of God, and he's kind of sitting there, relaxing, you know, having a, having a refreshing drink until, you know, God looks at his watch, God the Father looks and says, all right, Son, it's time, now go. People think that he isn't doing much. Here's what Jesus is doing right here. He's not just sitting around. He's seated at God's right hand. It isn't a place of rest. It is a position of authority. Delegated authority. Romans 8.34 reveals that he is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Therefore, the previous verse, verse 33 asks who then will bring a charge against God's elect? Scripture suggests nobody. And who is he who condemns? It asks. Answer again, nobody. Why? Because sandwiched between these verses, Scripture declares Jesus intercedes for us. This is why Romans 8, verse 35, same context right there, boldly asserts, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, nobody. Why? Because whether in tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. The church conquers in Christ. All of this is an assurance that the authority Christ has as He intercedes for us. He has overruling authority right now. you understand that? He overrules every accusation of sin against us. This is the reason 8, uh, Romans 8, verse 1, same chapter again, can confidently announce this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because He is interceding us. For, us. for every failure, Jesus intercedes for us. He overrules for us. And, and based on His position at God's right hand until He comes. You know, therefore, God's elect have eternal security. We are kept by Him as He intercedes for us. He is ruling. Um, he's doing much more than just interceding. In Hebrews 1 verse three, we're told he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and Hebrews 1:13 again says, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet." Hebrews is like a mere uh, reflection of Hebrews chapter 1.10, which continues to say, The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. That's what Christ is doing right now through His church. He's ruling over us in the midst of His enemies. He's, Christ is ruling. It's something we don't want to miss here. We want to, be, we want to be careful of telling people, though it is accurate, we want to be careful, you know, Jesus is someday going to come and rule. You know, Someday He's going to have a kingdom. He's going to come back in the clouds. You know, He's going to have a kingdom someday. Then He will rule. You want to be prepared for that day. Uh, he'll rule someday. He will come and establish His earthly kingdom. But He will rule someday. Colossians 1 says, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That suggests He's ruling today. Christ is ruling today. Our hymns very much reflected that this morning. Uh, This past tense assures us He's ruling in the midst of His enemies. Ephesians 1 verse 20, God raised Him from the dead and seated Him at his right hand far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things in subjection under his feet and he gave him as head over all things the church he's ruling over that's why we worship him who's ruling the church His church in this age, from God's right hand until He comes, it is Jesus, 1 Peter 3, verses 21-22. to Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God. All these references. I found a lot of them. I can't even exhaust them today. From the right hand of God. Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him. Jesus is already declared in the Great Commission, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. He's ruling. He is ruling. He he better be ruling. Folks, He better be ruling over you right now. Better not be someday. You You know, it's a grave mistake that the Sanhedrin made. They didn't want Christ ruling over them. They, they didn't want him ruling now. They didn't want him ruling ever. Not someday in the future, not ever. Uh, they didn't want to accept an eternal reign of the Son. Uh, they mocked his claims as king. They rejected his lordship over him. In the next chapter, we're going to see this is the reason that they dressed him up in purple. To mock him mock his claim to be king. It's the reason that they pressed down a crown of thorns upon his brow. The Gentiles didn't want to hear him either, didn't want to listen to him, didn't want to bow to him. Matthew 27, verse 29, the soldiers placed a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, they took the reed and began to beat Him on the head. And after they mocked Him, they took the scarlet robe off of Him and they put His own garments back on Him and they led Him away to crucify Him. Why? They didn't want Him ruling over them. That's the reaction of someone who doesn't want Christ ruling over them. Some have mistakenly believed they can delay Christ's rule. Maybe we can put it off until the sun comes. You know, maybe maybe I can get through college first, have a little fun, take my time. Maybe someday I'll get serious about Christ, settle down in the future. Maybe someday I'll worship Him. There are many, many things I'd like to enjoy still until the Sun comes. I, I guess. You know, if Jesus is just sitting around up there waiting to come, i got some things I'd like to reign over my old, life, my own life for a while. I'd like to do what I want to do, some would say. Uh, I'd like to do lots of things. Folks, the answer is nope. No. You can't do that. You cannot do that. You have to accept by faith the claims of Christ, bow the knee to serve Him, Sanhedrin was unwilling. Next week we're going to see that Pilate and Herod were both unwilling. We're going to see that the soldiers were unwilling. They pressed a crown of thorns upon his head. But he's already ruling. In the midst of all of his enemies, he is already ruling from the right hand of God. He's going to come again and judge the living and the dead. That will be a time that is too late for you to decide. Which are you? Have you surrendered to the claims of Christ as king? Are you the Sanhedrin? Are you standing in judgment over Christ and who he is? Or have you accepted that you stand under his judgment? Scripture assures God will return and render judgment over us. Folks, I'm not going to remain God's enemy. I dare not be God's enemy when He comes. I, I, I choose to have Jesus interceding for me every time I slip up, reigning over me even when I'm not responsive as He sits at the Father's right hand until He comes. What are you going to do? What are you going to do